Good evening, church. Uh, it's so good to see you tonight on Wednesday night. We have something special. Several folks have not complained but made fun of my singing. So I brought K.A. to help me sing tonight. And we're going to do a couple of numbers for you. And I appreciate your help, K.A. Yeah, K.A.'s got a real shy spot. And so uh, we're going to sing Victory in Jesus, the first and last stanza first. I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me, me, me. I heard about his groaning and his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. I can't hear you, K.A. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Now the last one. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea, about the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Yay, K.A., take a bow. One more song. Kay's really wanting to get out of here. I don't know why she doesn't like this. Let's see if y'all know this one, number 356 in our hymnal. <clears throat> Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. Redeemed, ooh, that's bad, K.A. <clears throat> redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, his child and forever I am. I know I shall see in his beauty the King in whose law I delight. Who lovingly guardeth my footprints and giveth me songs in the night. Redeemed. Ooh. <clears throat> I think it's your hairspray or your perfume, Kay. Redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed. Redeemed. His child and forever I am. Y'all give Kay a, a big hand. See if you can guess who K.A. is. Everybody's guess. She's from the youth group. She's getting older. 
You want to stand up, K.A., and do a bow? Come on, K.A. No, why not? You're bashful. You want to tug on Galen's beard? Nope, no touching Galen. Good social distancing. All right. We'll go on with our Bible study now. Thank you, K.A. Yay! Tonight, I wanted us to look at a Romans chapter 8. Uh, Romans chapter 8, Paul's talking about our salvation and how God has accomplished it through grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And in a world that's as insecure as ours is, I think this would be a good message during this time. Uh, there's lots of fear abounding. People are asking questions. If God loves us, why would he allow this to happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, why would God allow the devil to have this kind of sway? And they forget that we have security in Christ. You see, our salvation is secure because of Christ. I remember working with a couple of fellows when I was in high school and uh, one Monday morning, they'd be fine. The next Monday morning, they wouldn't be. It was just on and on and on. And when I finally delved into it, asking them, because I got tired of their moodiness, they'd lost their salvation over the weekend. They'd done something and, and walked away from God. And they had no security at all. They stumbled in supposedly their faith walk, which I didn't really know if they had. Um, and so I wanted to see what Paul had to say about this. Paul has been talking about our salvation and how God did it and how we are children of God. In verse 31, he says these words. What then shall we say to these things, all that's gone before this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who brings a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercessions for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Apostle Paul wanted us to know that our salvation is secure in Christ when we have repented of our sins and placed our faith in him, he has saved us, and we are secure in that salvation. The Old Testament has some things also to say about that. In Psalm uh, chapter 27, verse 1, David said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The answer there is no one. Psalm chapter 46, 
verses 1 through 6. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though its waters roar, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place, the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The prophet Isaiah, writing of our God, in Isaiah chapter 40, beginning with verse 22, has some things to say. It says of God, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He goes on in verse 26, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. These verses talk about our God being able to secure us. Jesus himself said that he had us in his hand and we, he was in the Father's hand and no one was greater than the Father. Not one would he lose. That includes all of us. So let's get down to remembering that our salvation is secure because of Christ. And Paul writes some things here, and he just sort of, I believe, in his mind starts ticking off some of the objections to the false Judaizers who want to say, oh, you've got to come through all the law, or oh, you've got to be circumcised, or you've got to do this to be saved, rather than by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And even today, we have those that want to say you have to do this or that or the other. Now, listen to me. I don't believe you're just saved and you're not changed. I believe you're changed if you're truly saved. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That means new actions, new attitudes, new mental thoughts. We'll do good works because we're saved. Those works do not save us. But he lists some things and he starts off, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So let's just think about some things. Some people say, have told me, well, you can decide not to be saved. You can decide just to walk away from God. So is it possible with our own self to lose our salvation. I want to say, not, not if you're truly saved. Say, it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? The word if there is a little Greek preposition, okay? And uh, it's E-I, and it translates a conditional sentence. And that conditional sentence assumes that this fact is true. If God be for us, so you would really translate it since God is for us or better because God is for us so if you read it because God is for us who can be against us in other words there's no one greater than our father in heaven there's no one smarter than God there's no one more powerful than God or he wouldn't be God and if he's for us no one can be against us and he is for us because it goes on and it says he gave us his only son 
And how shall he not with us give us all things whatsoever we need? You see, if God is for us, no one can rob us of our salvation. Do we understand that? We ourselves can't walk away. God holds us by his power, by his might. The Holy Spirit resides within us. He is the down payment in the future for our future glorification. It's assuring God's mind. He already knows we've been saved. We've been redeemed. We've been bought. He's placed a down payment. We are his. He looks at it as salvation is complete. We're going to be sanctified. We're going to be glorified. We've already been justified. It's all those eyes that keep us eternally secure. You see... Because God saved us, nobody, not even ourselves, can unsave us. And God, because of his character, always keeps his promises. He promised that whoever called upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He's not at some time going to decide, oh, they're too bad. I'm going to unsave them. No. He said if we placed our faith and repented of our sins, he would save us. His very character means that's eternally. He will not unsave us. But we can't put ourselves out of God's grace. You see, we couldn't save ourselves, and we can't unsave ourselves. I couldn't add anything to my salvation or do anything for my salvation. I can't do anything to take away from my salvation. See, it's not dependent upon me. It's dependent upon the finished work of Christ on the cross. We are secure. But you see, God the Father won't take it away. I can't take it away. So that's what he meant when he said in verses 31 and 32, He who did not spare his own son, that's Jesus, but delivered him up for us all. In other words, God sent his own well unstable well-loved son to pay the penalty to be the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus accomplished that on the cross. He shed his precious blood for me and for you. Do we understand that? And then it says, since he did that, how will he not also freely give us all things? Whatsoever we need, all things. See, God would be a pretty bad God if he let Jesus go through everything he did and we were bought with the blood of Christ. We were cleansed and made right by the blood of Christ. And then he said, nope, I'm kicking them out. No longer a part of the family. That just isn't going to happen. That's not God's character. That would be absurd and ridiculous. We are blood bought. You see, we were saved, forgiven, cleansed. Uh, to freely give. See, how she not with him also freely give us? Freely give us means to bestow graciously. It means to have more than abundant grace. Grace is something we don't deserve. None of us deserve to be saved. We deserve death and hell because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he says, he freely gives us these things, not because of who we are, but because of what he has done, because of the work of Christ. It means superabundant grace. It means overflowing grace. What does God give? All things, whatever we need. It means unlimited forgiveness. Christ died for all my sins. From beginning to end of my life, all my sins, he forgave. Now, I confess that my sins to 
keep pride from entering my life. I confess my sins to acknowledge I'm a sinner. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness so we can walk with Him and talk with Him. Serve Him in a better way. You see, He says a lot of things about our salvation. But no one can take it away from us because God's greater than everybody. We can't put ourselves out because of God's grace. God the Father isn't going to take away from it for the work of Jesus. And then what about Satan? Can he take away our salvation? Can he snatch us away from God? It says in verse 33, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. You see, in the end, Satan's going to be thrown into the fiery pit. We call hell the lake of fire. You see, he is the accuser of the brethren. I think he talks about that in Revelation 12, 10, if I'm not mistaken. You see, the protection we have is this. Who brings the charge? He's the accuser. It says God justifies, justifies to be made right. Because of the blood of Christ, God has justified us. He looks at us and we are now made right by the blood of Jesus. Do we understand that? We do need to understand that. Let me look up that verse and make sure I gave you the right verse in the book of Revelation. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom and the power of Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night, and he has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their own lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down with great wrath. Do we understand that the accuser cannot touch us in Christ Jesus? He can tempt us. He can cause problems in our lives. He can do those kinds of things, but he cannot change our salvation. Do we understand that? Who shall bring a charge? God justifies. Who is he condemns? Christ is even at the right hand of God. He is risen. So that leads to another question. Would Jesus take back our salvation? Would we grieve him so much that he'd say, nope, that's it, that's the last time. But remember what he did. He died in our place. The scriptures tell us that. No one didn't die in our place. He raised from the dead by his power. But not only that, this verse says he's seated at the right hand of God. And it means in Greek, he ever lives to continually make intercession for us. Continual intercession at the right hand of God. You see, it's interesting that it says Christ died for the mowers also even at the right hand of God. Revelation tells us he's seated at the right hand of God. I can see him leaning over and whispering and pleading in prayer to the Father for me and for you and for other Christians around the world even now. Hallelujah. Praise the Lamb. 
Do we understand that? You see, Jesus isn't going to take back our salvation. It's interesting to me that it says he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Do you realize the temple had no seats? The priest had no place to sit down inside the temple. They had to go to the spare rooms or somewhere else to sit down. And I thought, why did the temple not have seats? And the commentators reminded me, because they're smarter than I am, this is because the priest was never done with his work. They had to continually offer sacrifices for sins. But you see, our Savior didn't have to do that. It says in verse Hebrews 7, 22, By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. And also there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he's also able to save to the uttermost those who come to him, to God, through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You see, verse 27 says, He does not need daily as those high priests offer up sacrifices. First for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints high priests, men who have weaknesses. But the word of oath which came after the law appoints the son who's been perfected forever. Once for all, he died for us. Once for all was all he had to do. Hebrews 10 Beginning with verse 11 says, And every priest stands, ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins, forever, did you get that? Forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Did you catch in those verses the word forever twice emphasized? Forever saved, forever sanctified, forever in Christ Jesus. We are secure. Jesus isn't going to do it. But what about our world? What about our world? Can something in the world take away our salvation? Now, I want us to know that being in Jesus doesn't exempt us. It doesn't take away the problems we will experience in this life. But Paul says, think about these problems. You see, we need to understand what he has to say about this. Back to Romans 8, okay? Romans 8 talks about it in verse 34. He said that, but he says... This in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he starts listing some worldly things. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sore? For your sake we're killed all the day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Tribulation is a word that means to be squeezed. It talks about the outward pressure of the world to squeeze us and make us hurt, to try to conform us to their ways instead of being conformed on the inside to the image of Christ. 
He says, shall distressed. It means a narrow place. It means helplessly hemmed in by problems, helplessly hemmed in by enemies, looking like we have no hope. Persecution is just that, being afflicted for the cause of Christ. Many of our brethren around the world that we're to pray for on a daily basis are afflicted, persecuted, simply for believing in Jesus. And then he goes on when he says, famine, whether it's natural famine because of droughts, whether it's unnatural famine, by that I mean it could be uh, disease and pestilence, it could be that there's food available, but the powers that be are not letting the people have it. And so it's famine. They're dying of starvation. And then he said, or nakedness. And nakedness doesn't mean to be completely nude there. It means not to have adequate clothing for the weather, for protection, uh, for the nighttime chill, the, the cold, or, or to keep the sun from baking us. He says, peril. Peril? Yes, peril. Peril means danger. The world is full of danger. Sword. To be killed for the cause of Christ. To be martyred. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for slaughter. You see, our world can't take it away. Because verse 37 says, Yet in all these things, all the things he's listed, we are more than conquerors. That word means victory. It means super conquerors. It means overcomers. It means not only will we make it, but we'll stomp the gates down. It means that all those things that are thrown at, at us cannot change the fact that we are saved, sanctified, and glorified because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ when we bow our knee and in faith turn from our sins and place our faith in Him. We are more than super conquerors, church. Hallelujah. I might get Baptist before I read all this. You see... We need to remember that. When he talks about being slaughtered, he's quoting Psalm 44, 22, if you want to look it up. But this talks about the future and not just the world, but what about other things, things we can't see? Ooh, he talks about this. Yet in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, that great enemy, it causes great fear, but yet it's been conquered by Christ Jesus. Neither death nor life, not the pains of this life, can separate from the love of God. Nor angels, those are the good messengers. They're at God's command. Don't fear them. Nor powers, powers. Some translations say principalities. Those are the fallen angels. They're the demons that serve Satan, but we don't have to fear them because even when Jesus was on this earth, they were subject to his word, to his power. They still are subject to God. See, even in the book of Job, God allowed Job to be tested to prove what was already in him, and God already knew it. But Satan wanted to really get after him, and he said, I set limits. You can't touch him at first, and you can't kill him, and then... God restored him after he came through. He said, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nothing in the future, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing 
So whatever it is, nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, you see. The height and depth are astrological terms. I don't know if I'm saying them correctly, the apogee of a star and the pedigee of a star, how high it gets or how low it gets, our constellation. See, those that believe our lives are guided by the stars, astrological folks, don't read that. That's really just another form of witchcraft or Satanism or paganism. But it said that they thought that the star at its highest had its most effect and its lowest its least effect. And so you were always in trouble when it was for evil and high, or when it couldn't affect your life for good when it was low. And he said, the height or depth has nothing to do with it. Because he said, nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the future. That's the victory. Now and in the future. There was a sailor several years ago that was traveling on a large barge. Now, this sailor had run away from home. He shouldn't have been able to sail, but different country, and they let him sail. He was 15 years old. A year later, that barge ran into a reef off a coast during a storm, coast of Africa. And he had to swim several hundred yards to try to make it. He could barely swim. Through the waves, through the lightning, through the wind blowing, he finally found a rock. And in that cold, he held on that rock and he shivered all night. He climbed up on it at daylight and continued to shiver. It was on towards evening when a rescue helicopter finally plucked him off that rock. When entered by the British News Service, they said, I bet you shivered all night. He said, I did shiver all night. But I can tell you that rock didn't shiver once. What he was saying was he had found something solid, something that didn't change, something that was dependable in an undependable world. That rock. The Bible reminds us that our rock is our God, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. During these times and in the future, let us remember he's our rock. He's our salvation. And our salvation is secure because of Jesus Christ. He won't take it away. He won't allow anything else to take it away. So as you go through this week, I want you to remember to praise God for the nature and the security that we have in Christ Jesus. That even in the midst of this pandemic, an invisible enemy. We have security. Let's pray and be dismissed. Father God, I thank you for our security in Christ. When I get down or when I get worried, please remind me of that security. Father, you have graciously been good to our church and taken care of us. Continue to watch out for our church and its members and our extended family against this disease. Father, they're talking about reopening the country. Some are warning about the effects of that, that we could just have wave after wave of this pandemic. But Father, I am assured in my heart, Lord, that if we will repent as a nation and return to you, you will stop it in its tracks and you will be glorified. 
Pour your spirit upon us and let us have revival in our land. Let people turn to you for this. Defeat this enemy we cannot see, but you are all powerful over. Stop it from happening. They're warning us that this fall and as winter approaches, that the flu season will be worse and this pandemic will come back. I don't know all the science, but I don't have to. I know the one who controls the science. Father, you protect us and watch over us. You gain glory. You help those who are sick, those who have lost loved ones. Father, protect our missionaries around the world and protect them and their families and do the same for our servicemen and women who are also in harm's way. Protect those who are on the front line. So many of our healthcare professionals are sick and afflicted and some have died. The nurses, the doctors, the first responders, the EMTs, the firemen, the police, please protect them and their families from this disease. But Father, most of all, let us rest in the security of our salvation because of Jesus and let us praise your holy, wonderful, awesome, beautiful name. You're all powerful, you're all knowing, you're all present. We praise you for that. Please give us the joy of our salvation, not just the knowledge of security, but joy in it. These things I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Church, have a good rest of the week, and we'll be back on Sunday. Pray for one another, call one another, be good. Don't get out too early. Thanks.